so <laughs> mostly i have one uh, thought process that goes in my mind uh, which is if i have to take some important life decisions i usually do not take them uh, over a short period of time if it's a recurring factor like for 6 months i feel that i have to move out of us and do something on my own which is what the case was um, when it comes to me for a good 6 months to 8 months i was pondering um i tried to move jobs still that didn't quite excite me um so i was giving interviews i got uh, another job offer um which was decent and on terms with the <coughs> industry standard uh, and it was also in the same field of interest but still i felt that something in me was telling me to chase much bigger things so constantly for like 6 to 8 months i was feeling that i need to move back and do something um that's when i decided one fine day that uh, okay let's take this decision into action and um, uh, one of the things is for whatever reason um, <coughs> i wish i had like a mentor who is 10 years ahead of me whom i could talk to gather information from but um, um mostly nowadays it has come to taking decisions mostly on my own since i do not have someone who i can contact uh, but i did go through with my friends in silicon valley just uh, ran the thought through them um, some of them gave very valuable advice in the sense that they tried to ask me if i was serious about it or if i am just unhappy with my job or current situation and trying to move so they tried to gauge my interest and gave some critical feedback um but uh, more than that <coughs> uh, i mentioned my parents to do the if they have any major problem if i move back they were um, very comfortable with me coming closer to home so then i decided all right so i'm not putting anyone at any risk in the sense that my parents are self sufficient and uh, i do not have any big obligations etc but um i used to have a very comfortable life in silicon valley um mostly owing it to even my company's success in the stock market etc um they i did make good amount of stocks with uh, money from the stocks that i got so it it led me to live a very very comfortable life um so leaving that i would say it was um definitely tough to let that go and especially that i am at like 28 29 years um like also marriage prospects etc come into place so now you do not have a job so my parents first question was that how are you going to survive is second are you not hurting your marriage prospects uh, that's the first question they asked um but i convinced them it's all right we'll figure it out one year two years um so then i decided and then um i did whatever i need to do like to let go of all the things that i had possessions um and then i moved back yeah. it was entrepreneurship a way to push back on the marriage <laughs> impending oh, <no>. marriage <laughs> um so when it comes to the timeline i'm i was on par with my parents on what the marriage timeline should be like i think 28 to 30 is right um 
I did not push back because of that. Uh, <coughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, when you did quit after after those six eight months of pondering, uh, what was your state then? I I I did a bit of a sort of homework on you uh, before the podcast and. I understand that you're working as um, on a on a company called AI AI artist. So maybe maybe what can help here is you can maybe speak about uh, speak about your journey there. Uh, not not exactly journey, but at least at least like your start there, uh, and also mention where were you while you were quitting your your comfortable cushy Silicon Valley job. Yeah, does that does that make sense? Yeah, to to add on to it, I had a similar question. Um, did you have the idea, or did you make a prototype? Where were you with your next venture okay. when you quit? Yeah, got it. So one of the things that happened during the last two three years was I was big time on online learning, upskilling myself. Um, so I was uh, taking a lot of courses on Udacity, in self driving car, natural language processing, flying cars, and uh, mostly I was getting myself more and more acquainted with AI and deep learning. So during this process, when I was taking the courses, um, I used to come up with a lot of ideas to implement, or I could see new potentials of how AI could be used. And one such uh, thing was AI artist. So I thought right now, you when you write blog posts, or if you write a book and want to publish a book, you try to find a friend who is an illustrator or try to find relevant images for your blog post. So if you want to publish a book and you want to find an illustrator, can AI do the job of generating illustrations for your content by automatically using natural language processing and understanding your content and generating images? So this is one thought that I came up with when I was taking the courses. and. Uh, this is the most exciting thought I would say I came up with. So immediately, I started doing a little bit of prototyping. I'm not a front-end developer myself, so it was very hard for me to get started with that. I did. <laughs> so anyway, I I worked a little bit, do, did few Ajax courses, etc. JavaScript, HTML. I, I built my first prototype to at least convince people that this is something valuable. Um, once I got there, like I, I was doing it on the side. I would say this is six to eight months before quitting my job. This is the phase where I was developing a prototype. Um, then I was very, very curious about AI, where it is going. Um, then once, uh, one of the main things that, I, that happened was, once I started to think in the entrepreneurship uh, terms, I reached out to people who were in startups before which uh, I would never speak to them just casually. I would just casually speak to them, where are you at, what are you up to? I didn't see startups or uh, entrepreneurship as anything too, I mean, too special, if you want to say. So it's like different way of life, that's what I thought. Then once I started reaching out to these people, I started seeing patterns of what they were doing. One guy gave me advice, uh, why don't you hire an intern for like 10,000 rupees in India on Internshala. That's when I went to Internshala, I hired two interns. Then uh, I started developing more and more, built a front-end, uh, front-facing app and hosted it. 
and I was trying out few different things. So AI artist was taking off in my own little world. There were no users or anything like that, but the MVP minimum viable product that I was building, I thought it was going somewhere. Like I was excited about what I could build, how I could put together a small team. Then a lot of my friends reached out to me once I just started telling to them. Uh, few friends reached out and thought, hey, what are you doing? How can we help? Things like that. So it was a small ripple effect. And then it got me interested and uh, I approached like the February, March phase of my life where I, <coughs> I got a few of uh, stocks that vested in March and uh, I thought now that AI, I've been working on AI artist for like six to eight months, it's kind of doing okay and also there's this parallel running thought of me moving back to India and staying closer to family. Um, so these two things helped me to take a conscious decisions of move, decision of moving back. Um, and just before moving back, uh, like I took the interns for like full time for two more months. I put some money aside for the next three, four months survival at least. Um, and uh, one of the major events was my sister's wedding was happening as soon as I got back to India. So that gave me a very good transition phase in the sense I just come from this work and luxury life to nothing. But uh, I come through a transition where I'm very, very busy through sister's marriage for one month and all those aspects. So it gave me a very smooth transition. Um, and it, it, it did help me quite a bit to even understand life better, uh, the marriage part, I would say. Uh, so it played a very good role. Yeah. Uh, how did you stop the idea romance? Like apart from AI artists, you must have had seven or eight or maybe 70 different ideas. And uh, second question was, uh, did you have any customers or like people logging in and using the product like just before you quit? I think that's, that's all for me. Mm -hmm. Okay. So first question is about idea maze. How did you narrow onto the idea? So few things that I try to think when I think about coming up with an idea is what's possible now that wasn't possible in the last two years. If I had got this idea two years ago, uh, I try to see that shouldn't have been possible with the state of the art then. And it should be only possible now. Um, that is one way to see that at least technologically you are ahead of the cur curve. That is one thing that I always see. What's possible now that wasn't possible just two years back. And kind of, there are two ways to go about it. One is trying to see what problem exists and solving. Then trying to see what's technologically very, very advanced in the last one or two years and trying to see what that could potentially unlock that hasn't been done before. And uh, for some reason, I tried to tend to go to the second one. So that's when I thought, uh, when I was ideating to do, through a lot of ideas, this one seemed to have the lot big potential of where generative AI could take off and it would become big and it would solve a lot of creative problems too. Um, hitherto that AI was not playing that big part in the creativity space. Now I thought this could unlock potential in the creativity space. 
and uh, that's when i thought this is good idea that i should go ahead with and uh, coming to your question of whether there are customers etc so i did speak to a few publishers um, i reached out to them and uh, so they were they, they told me that this idea is quite advanced what they suggested me was if you could build kind of like a very smart image search in the sense i just i'm looking for a specific image where um like a person there's an old woman and they are in a village something like that and i i want quite often it's hard to find the image that i'm looking for already writers have a specific image in their mind and they want that exact image can you get that exact image if they just give it in natural language so it wasn't like exactly aligned with ai artist but i could see potentially the ai computer vision playing role and solving this with state of that um so that aside i also talked with like 10 to 15 writers and see that they have understood that they have image sourcing problem for their blogs etc um honestly speaking i didn't do like the validation that real entrepreneurs do it was just like hearing from few people and seeing there is potentially a problem but for me it was more about try and getting into entrepreneurship i wasn't like super focused on this is a solution that i want to build uh, i wanted like a beach beachhead entry point where i have something to look to build when i move back to india that's what i was looking for and a artist was that yeah yeah i think that that talks back into like how do you build tech defensibility uh, and if you are ahead of the curve like you've been taking those udacity nano degrees the flying car like that state of the art only a handful of people in the world can do that so you are in a sense technically defensible and then if you back that up by validation from customers that's super great and if you can execute with the product and i think like that's a very good strategy that you went ahead with super good. but but what i wanted to get back was uh, so it's it's a fairly okay decision that you want to get into entrepreneurship that's like that a lot of people take that but what not what not a lot of people do is move back to india uh, to do entrepreneurship so that trend has been growing but uh, i want to see personally how did you make that choice because it it has to be mentioned that you owned a posh and that you used to travel every year to some new continent and you had a very good life uh, in that sense so in your in your decision making process was that a a crutch that held you back or or was it very simple so uh, we have to give a little bit of back story um when it comes to the travel part and the life that i left behind um so one of the main things was i remember very distinctly um when i was in second year of bits um we had to get a bank loan to buy a laptop for me that was that was the state of finances we were in so everything was on loan even laptop of 50000 dell laptop we had to go apply for bank loan and get bank loan uh, so during the phase of bits i was very grounded and i knew that money is not like given i need that so i was very very looking forward to somehow 
generate a way to earn money and all those things. So from that phase, taking six years ahead, the lifestyle was quite different. And in one way, I carved that lifestyle just simply because um, once I had these troubles, I wanted to get to the other end and see how it is like. So before leaving, I think we haven't discussed this part quite a lot, but before leaving um, US, my lifestyle was such that I never looked at a price tag of something, airline tickets, or even uh, if I go and buy jeans, anything. I never looked at any price tag for the last one year or so. I like something, I could buy it. Um, then even taking luxury vacations, we went to South Africa, Costa Rica. Um, even going there, we stayed in like very good resorts and everything. Um, and I like most of all, I used to drive a Porsche Panamera to work every day with a license, California license plate that reads Ramsri <laughs> in black and yellow. So this funny thing, the first day I got my Porsche, uh, my colleagues came and asked genuinely, do you make more than our manager? How can you afford a Porsche? <laughs> that is the question that they asked. Um, so in that sense, my lifestyle was extremely different from what an average engineer would have at this point of time at 27. I was driving a Porsche at 27. So all of those I did in a deliberate sense of risk too. So I took quite a lot of risk in putting that much upfront money um, on getting things or even living the lifestyle that I was living. Uh, I used to travel to even to India almost uh, two times a year uh, apart from this. And all of these I used to have at one point of time, um, I used to have two cars and a motorcycle. I was paying insurance for all of them. I only sold because there was no parking spot for any of them. <laughs> uh, so this was the phase I was in and all of a sudden like I came to the ground realization that where I was six years back right so after a while it came to a point where it didn't look obvious to me the lifestyle that I was having didn't really match with my thought process um, it looked like too out of the box why am I doing what I'm doing it was all good but there came a small realization of that I have to get grounded and get back to valuing money because that is where I kind of grew from. Um, so that part, when I could get comfortable with, okay, I'm okay to go back to the lifestyle that I used to have. Um, once I was comfortable with that, then I could make a conscious decisions of decision of moving back from US. That was a comfortable decision only when I could get uh, adjusted with myself on that terms, yeah. So was it, was that only like going back to valuing money more? Or do you think could it also be somehow subconsciously knowing that I was, I was chasing this certain, certain lifestyle, because I've seen the other end. So I've been chasing that the other end, the brighter end, probably. And once I'm there, once I'm sort of there driving a post to work, I no longer see that, I mean, big delta and I no longer see that there's like, there's like, I'm, I'm not getting maybe a lot of happiness out of it or anything like that. So was there 
so was it only valuing that there was it only you deciding that i need to value money more because i've seen the harsh world and and it can get harsh any time i mean you don't know what happens in life but but it was was it also that you were not really you did not get the happiness you might have at some point romanticized because right now i i'll say that oh driving a pool should be crazy i mean it sounds 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 like a lot of fun but maybe i have it is sometime and I'm, i'm like it, it doesn't matter when i'm when i'm inside i don't know or, or something like that so yeah so when i moved back there were several factors that were influencing me to move towards the decision that i took so a part of it was this lifestyle and everything now that i have seen the other side um it didn't make that much of a delta i was okay with even not having that then the second part was for some reason out of all the things that were there being very far away from family like almost one and a half a day away if you take any flight <laughs> um so that i used to miss lot of festivals cultural aspects etc so that also pay, played a big role so it was a culmination of the fact that i need to start something on my own i am bored with work i need to move closer to family and i need to make this lifestyle change and uh, there was growing ambition to really do something big or chase something big uh, be in the process of it uh, all of these and coupled with the fact that now that my sister got married there are not too many financial obligations uh, and my age and time is right to also move back to india now that whatever loans were there those were cleared i do not have like heavy impending financial obligations on me so it's almost like all the factors culminated and made made it such that it was the right time for me to move back uh, yeah so do, uh, do you uh, sorry and any question to both of you do you also feel a similar sense of like i want to come back to india because uh, i'm missing out on so much culture and fun and friends and stuff uh, and bangalore <laughs> for candy uh, but uh, so y- you guys have been living for around 2 years away from family so what's your take on it oh, as you know i'm a very emotional person um, as we discussed last episode and no i'm just joking so i'm just joking but i think for me i've been ling- ling- i mean for all of us we've been staying away from family not just the, the, the two years but also like university we've all of us did a university is far away from family um so it's not very different for me but yeah one thing is definitely very different that in when i was in hyderabad I could easily go six times a year. Uh, on the other hand, when I'm in London, I'll probably at max go two times a year. So, and I sometimes honestly do miss family, but uh, that's very rare to be honest. I don't, I don't really miss the cultural events and like the family reunions. I love, th- I love those people, but uh, I'm not a big, I'm not, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of the, the cultural. I mean. Yeah, I mean, you you get it, I guess. Um, good question. I was just thinking about it. So I was in India for like three months. If people have not been following our podcast, there was this visa fiasco that led to uh, a smaller stay being elongated. But uh, I'm finally working now. Um, anyhow, so yeah, I spent uh, uh quite quite a lot of time at home uh, over the past three months. 
three or four months i don't know um yeah when i was in london i really like living in london i like sodi i did not miss uh, the cultural aspect much but there were few reasons because if there's diwali i could go to the indian temple and uh, i don't know when was the last time i played holi even in india and the other things uh, like i think diwali is the uh cultural thing i would miss the most and i could go for the celebrations in london that's that's fine um and uh, uh either my family would come and visit me or i would visit india so um but if uh, so i uh, at the moment i i spent like fair amount of time in india maybe i start missing people again after a while so at the moment i'm good uh, um the cultural aspect wouldn't be like a decision for me to go back like uh, a deciding point I think it's just a characteristic of early 20s I mean it doesn't hit right now but uh, do you think so yeah yeah hmm. and uh, yeah uh, ramshree uh, this was like uh, when you told about your move to india when you moved to the us did you think you would come back that was like one question good question so i have to give you the reasons when i moved to india when i moved to us what my state of my mind was so to be fairly honest i was angry with the with india i would say not just with india my circumstances plus, plus, plus <laughs> my lifestyle i was so angry with whatever was going on and a lot of it i owed to myself because even in bits i did not make use of bits as much as other people did i was mostly uh, just with a small group of friends i was not very very social i was not participating in any extracurricular events so mostly my bits phase was kind of stop and stare at what the world is doing it almost felt like i was an i was an imposter there everyone else was doing something productive doing internships in carnegie mellon or doing something it almost felt like everyone was destined to be great whereas i was just about average that was what i felt and uh, for whatever reason like that feeling wasn't good so i wanted to escape from that zone completely so when i moved to us it was exactly for the reason that i want to escape india escape the current lifestyle there was some i would call it youth anger uh, that was definitely there so when i moved to us completely i wanted to uh, get to a new culture experience something or i wanted like an escape from current one and i would say even up until 25 26 nothing hit me that uh, i didn't even remotely imagine that i would return back to india um i was kind of enjoying the lifestyle i i did longboarding so i tried to i would say even i tried to fake being like a uh, american um but now back looking back i realize it was stupid but there were phases when i tried to emulate doing longboarding or going to events trying to act cool just for the sake of it um but after <laughs> after like 26 27 life really hit me in the sense that um as i grew stronger and stronger to family um, closer Uh, then i realized what were very important to me and uh, i realized that this is a transition phase where i was trying to just satisfy my own ego 
or I was trying to come out of that zone uh, where I was in when I moved to US, which is um, not having much social life. So I was trying to be exactly anti of what I used to be, trying to be extrovert, trying to act cool, all of these things. And uh, I think I strike the balance in the five, six, seven years that now it came to a stable point where I'm okay with who I am. I have developed some personalities. Um, I like few things. I like dislike few. So I understood myself better and got into terms with um, whatever lifestyle I had. And I would say it took me 26 years to be to act mature and be mature. Um, sometimes I wonder seeing you guys and even Shubankar. That's why if I mean, I don't think I was able to run. To be honest, I did not even do a good job when I was straight out of MS. I joined a startup in Palo Alto. Um, I was the first employee, but I don't feel I did a good job either. Um, I was just right out of school, didn't have much um, experience working in a company. So I used to think uh, I could do a few things and deliver a few things, but the, there was mismatch from the manager. So um, looking back, I don't feel comfortable about myself, how I have handled it. Um, so when I look back at my 23, 22 year old self and where you guys are at, um, I definitely feel you guys are like emotionally mature or on the path to be that. <laughs> uh, yeah, but that was my state of mind, yeah. That's, that's really heavy actually, like that shows a crazy amount of self-awareness that you've built. I mean, I think Sodi is always also wanting to s speak something about this, but I think it's crazy the self-awareness you just uh, displayed right there. That's my problem, I'm always wanting to speak about things. Anyway, yeah, I mean, self-awareness, I guess, plus 100, but, but Shubhankar being emotionally mature. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the uh, thing I project over yeah, here. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right is the answer. <laughs> How is it working for me? I'm, I'm uh, stable, dude. I'm very <laughs> secure. Uh, I don't have any financial insecurities, <laughs> emotional insecurities. <laughs> oh, it's it's going perfect. Anyways, moving <laughs> into the topic. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Just to sort of set the context right, you once you left Pilani, you immediately went for your MS. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, bits Pilani. When, when yes, so posted. I went from, yes, I went from Bits Goa to US in, yeah, two months time. Oh, ah, okay. From so the, the transition. Yeah, I mean, you, you, didn't, you didn't do a job there or anything like that. You chose to immediately jump to MS. Is there, was that again part of, like, your move towards escaping India that time? Or not even escaping, like, leaving India, basically? Um, or or was that was there, was there more to it? Um, there was more to it in the sense that um, um, few of my friends were discussing about what the opportunities were, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I had some slight hint of doing masters would help in career, etc. 
um, but apart from that, I would attribute 80% to where I was at. I was unhappy with myself and I wanted to escape. Yeah. So I wanted to get into the present now. So we moved to Singapore last July. Yeah. So we were in the same uh, cohort in Entrepreneur First. And so how, how are you liking Singapore? Yeah, skipping a very big segment, uh, how did you, why, why did you ditch AI artist and why did you move to Singapore? AI artist, sure. You want to talk about AI artist, like how it went? Yes. So, the thing with AI artist was I was on my own in the sense that I did not have a co-founder. I could put together a small team uh, and a friend, a good friend of mine, Azar, in Dubai was working on it. Uh, he has full-time job, but he is kind of my best friend from school. Um, and anytime I want some back-end help, he's there. And he even came to Hong Kong to demo AI artist at Rice Conference. Uh, that's how motivated he is. Um, so in this process, it was kind of like I was at my home doing things uh, and reaching out to people. So I didn't have an ecosystem that I was a part of which I felt was a very big problem. I was kind of this lonely guy in home in Hyderabad where there's no hint of AI. Not in Hyderabad, but in and around the place where I live or the people I interact with. Um, so it felt like I was fighting a battle in the blind. Um, so I started looking out for where I could find co-founders. I went to few. Um, IAM events, things like that. Then by chance, I found out EF, Entrepreneur First, and I applied there. Um, so when I came to EF, I actually bought along my AI artist idea itself. So I thought I can make AI artist big and it has big potential. But this is before when I learned things about market sizing, customer validation, any of those. Because I come from traditional engineering background, I come with this hardwired thought process that you build something useful, uh, something innovative, it will sell some or the other way. So I, I came with that blind thought. And soon enough, talking to a lot of people and uh, even the entrepreneur in res I mean, EIRs, entrepreneur in residence here, and all of those, uh, I realized quickly that this doesn't have big potential as I thought it would be. Uh, because publishers um, are short on money and the solutions that they pay for are not very um, very big. Uh, so I quickly realized in one or two weeks that uh, this is not big market. I have to pivot to something else. That's when I came into terms of leaving AI artist uh, and trying to pursue something big. And how how have you like in Singapore? So Singapore, I would say the big plus is being it a very, very small community, everyone in the sense that small country, everyone is within reach, mm. even C-level people, CEOs, I mean, I don't feel very afraid to mail them. I, I, I can mail them and I can pretty much try and ask for a meeting coffee for anybody if I want to exchange knowledge. So in that sense, there's a good, good blend of being geographically small, offering good opportunities that you can interact with. And it might take a little bit of time to get into uh, a social life aspect. But if you have good fight and people and you find 
playing weekend volleyball running things like that it offers a very good um, i would say ground for you to develop holistically mm. yeah yeah and and now that you yeah sorry you want to go i mean i was just asking how do you how do you compare it with silicon valley i know i know that you don't probably have much experience being an entrepreneur exactly but you were still like the first employee in a startup i guess i guess that's pretty close uh, especially if you talk about the risk and the uh like yeah i mean getting things done approach i think it's pretty close to like doing it yourself so what do you what do you what do you think about that so mainly silicon valley one of the things is the entrepreneurs can take huge risks whereas when it comes to singapore i would say the venture capitalists uh, are slightly more traditional they want to see ideas that have already worked or has good traction things like that so in that sense silicon valley will fund uh, ideas that are much more ambitious at the scale um, and um, but main thing is the pros with singapore are like i said it's a small group you can pretty much if you walk your way you can get uh, meetings with angels and investors whereas silicon valley investors also have kind of hi- a high ground as a regular employee there is no reach for you to get to their visibility uh, un- unless you know some big people or work your way up somehow so in that sense for budding entrepreneurs singapore offers few advantages being a close knit community uh, for two ambitious entrepreneurs who already have big taglines uh, silicon valley works a little better I don't know if you want to answer this but um so your your friend Azhar in Dubai uh did you consider like starting up with him because friend does back in like he's been helping you out already so yeah Absolutely so one thing to add is before moving from Silicon Valley I I wanted to move back to India but I had a backup thought that if at all if i get into the zone of being n- unhappy with india again what countries do i want to move to so i really actually went to hong kong dubai i did not go to singapore but i was aware of it so all these place places were in my mind with our which are in 4 5 hours radius from hyderabad um so i actually inquired about dubai accelerators with my friend in dubai so he, i i made him go to few accelerator pitches uh, and see what the dubai accelerators are like etc so coming back to your question so um my friend is a little more traditional in the sense that um he is not too ambitious to quit his job and come um but if i am able to employ somebody like get on to get to the position of funding where i can employ somebody i think he would be the first person i can talk to and he would be willing to take that leap to yeah did you did you try uh, venture capital in india talking to investors so yes i did reach out to few bitsian investors actually um in fact i randomly bumped into them and then they talk to me on what i was working on etc um bo- most of them were very nice but looking back i realized that uh, they kind of told me that you need to get customers traction all those things before actually even reaching out to venture capitalists they did not explicitly say that but now looking back i understand that um i think before customers traction 
VCs do not come, at least in India, if you do not have a big tagline behind you. Yeah. That's why pre-seed is so important. That's where like accelerators like EF and Antler and everybody else comes in. Cool. Uh, but uh, so now what are you working on in EF? So currently um, in this cohort, I'm working on um, something in education technology and AI at the intersection of both. So what we are doing is to automate question and answers generation from content for um, primary schools and secondary schools, K-12 space. So you, you have content, let's say a chapter, uh, social or English, you can give it to our platform and we will auto-generate multiple choice questions, fill in the blanks, all those assessment stuff. Um, so you have a co-founder? Yes, I currently have a co-founder. Uh, uh, she is in education technology, got her master's from Harvard, Karishma. Yeah. So I, I want to ask, uh, when you think about ideas, you, you said you think about tech defensibility, then you think about customer validation. But do you think about the vision as well? Uh, or is it just a story that you spin to investors and venture capitalists? Or do you actually think about where this company is going 10 years from now? I, I, I'll, I'll preface this by saying, so we have a discussion on this uh, pretty frequently. Uh, that What is it that is going to put Radical Eye out of business five years down the line? So for us, since we are playing in regulations, uh, machine-readable regulations seem to be the inevitable future five years, 10 years down the line when regulators start to write regulations in code. So how do we tend to move there so that we are not kicked out of business? So what my question is, and what I'm struggling with as well, how do you project your thought process 10 years down the line? Do you imagine what your product will be or, or do you imagine, like what's, what do you think about? Very good question, I would say. Um, I genuinely believe that vision is the biggest thing uh, because um, it is very easy to start an average company and I could have done with AI artist or Sonus.ai that I worked on in the previous cohort. Uh, but what stopped us to pursue that after the cohort is over or is because we did not see a big vision for it. And I think what differentiates between an average company and a big company is vision. Because if you see most of the companies that are able to employ 10, 15 people and generate revenues also have a product market fit. It's not that they do not. But when they started, what is the roadmap that they were aiming for? That, that landscape where what they want to capture is extremely crucial. And I think uh, the fundamental difference between a great company and average company is just vision and nothing else. Um, yeah. But question, uh, do you think that's a case of hindsight bias that when you become big then you make a vision uh, story that you tell to employees and everybody else or is it that the vision takes you there so at least for me personally um, so ambition like being like spectacularly ambitious is what I aim for at least that is what I think in my mind in the sense that I think we would have had this discussion on like commanding the civilization, <laughs> even to that level, right? So, um, so 
<laughs> the thought process spawns from few things like when you look at like um, British Empire or Mongolian Empire, they ruled a big chunk of the world, right? So there's a quote that says like, the sun never sets in British Empire, which means no matter where you go, there's always sunrise, sunrise at some part of the world yeah. where British Empire is operating. So what that um, transforms it into is when you build a Uber or Google, do you dominate that space like nobody else? you become so pervasive that you are all over the place. That's kind of the vision when I, that I envision when I'm operating in a space in general. Trying to get to a practical roadmap to achieve that, I would say it's not easy. But predominantly when I think about any idea, I try to see, visualize how the landscape will be different. Like if you think about Uber, how the landscape would be different entirely on how people commute now. Uh, that's the kind of broad vision that I always think. That's why sometimes when I wake up, it's like almost command the race of the sun. Like that's kind of the ambition <laughs> that goes on. <laughs> Control the civilization with your product or something like that. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, just to add one more line, um, as co-founders, I think it is, look, uh, it is very important to look at a big picture of landscape, how the landscape will change. Um, because there is one more thing where I think a lot of engineers do not become entrepreneurs even after 10 to 20 years is because they try to get a lot of depth in one subsystem. And that is the biggest fault in the sense whoever is ambitious and want to start a company, try to talk with even people who are in other teams, see how everything is fitting into the big picture. And the reason why I took the step that I took is because of having the big picture. Uh, because when I took Coursera, Udacity, all of these, I took front-end, uh, like distributed system courses, random courses on here and there. I could always see how things play a part in a company and holistically build something. Uh, although I do not have a concrete idea, I could at least get that confidence. Now I can hire a distributed system guy and I know exactly what they do. I know how, what a security guy would do in a company. So to try and adapt your mindset to that CEO or CTO role kind of mindset, that is extremely crucial. As much as you get depth in a subsystem, even explore the whole horizon so that you have a good bird's eye view. That is one of the main things. Uh, love it. I love the answer. Thanks a lot. Uh, but a couple of good, couple of good question, quick questions that I had was first is you mentioned something that you working on something but decided to not continue post the cohort. So does did, did you mean that is this is this your second EF or or did you so can you just elaborate on that? Uh, yeah, you can maybe start with that. Yes, so this is my second EF that I'm doing. So last time I worked on uh, automating dubbing. So if you see dubbing in movies, um, it's converted from English to something else, any other language, right? So we wanted to automate uh, dubbing with uh, uh, artificial intelligence, like speech synthesis models with emotion. Um, that's what we, we worked on. Uh, and we did fair bit of validation. The problem definitely exists, but uh, in the end, we did not get funding, and I do believe that 
although the problem is validated, we might not be the best team to solve it. And I, I genuinely looking back, I think EF made a right decision in the sense that we might not be the strongest team to solve it. And we are up against many big companies, Google, Samsung, who are, I mean, Google, Amazon, all these companies who are also operating in the similar space. Uh, although I always believe that you should <laughs> trample them if you can. <laughs> um, but in one way, we got the decision that this is hard to build and you're up against big giants and your defensibility is not strong enough. So um, then three more months passed where I ideated on quite a lot of things, got to know a lot more about different industries. Uh, then I decided to apply for EF again. And this time I started fresh uh, with a new perspective. And uh, so far, so good. Yeah. Great, great. Um, so something that I'd want you to elaborate on is, is that is your decision to I, I, I think you've already somewhat said uh, some details on it. But if there are more I'd like to hear is is your decision on leaving that idea because you felt that it is a valid problem, but you don't think that your team was the right team to solve it. I mean, how do you how do you distinguish that? And, and sort of, so I'm just sort of comparing this to uh, of any a very different situation wherein my mind will be telling me that we we or in my case I can't do it, but I mean how do you how do you how do you go against your mind, and how do you decide if your mind is actually I mean your instinct is the right one, and do you have any uh, do you have any do you have any systems n regarding that decision making or is it do you, is that is that is that based on your instinct or one of the way to operate and try and start companies is try to identify problem and solve it. Um, but there, the, a question arises, do you have unfair advantage to solve that problem specifically? That means have you been trained your last five years to be able to solve that problem than most of the smart people even? You need to look into that. In our case, if you want to dissect our case, uh, I come from like deep learning background building complex models, but have I worked on speech synthesis models either as be it PhD or exclusive research in speech, have I done that? The answer is no, but there is some confidence behind that I can get there, but that doesn't just justify uh, your success yet. Or, or asking the other way around, does my co-founder have strong contacts in dubbing industry to even penetrate dubbing industry, even if you build an average solution? The answer is again, no. So when I do not have exclusive research that, has, that went into speech, or if my, my co-founder did not have like exclusive dubbing industry contacts, we were, that's when I realized that we were we might not be the best ones to solve it so the main thing to look for is do you have any unfair advantage when it compa when compared to lot of other people like if anyone else can get in a good developer can get in and build what you're building that doesn't cut it yet you have to have exclusive either research work or contacts let's say your father is in certain field and you can penetrate that field like um, much faster than anyone else in the market can. 
or your co-founder has some that specific skill set. Uh, so looking to the current phase, that is what I try to do. Um, I have built natural language mod processing models for uh, text in AI artists. So I'm probably well suited for solving the question answer generation. And my co-founder, she spent her time in education technology and went to big schools and has a strong background in education technology. So she has very good reach in that. Now I think we are better suited to solve this position. And sometimes all, no matter how many times people say this, it's not obvious once you get into it and get out of it and again visualize what has happened. Uh, I have one of one. I have a rather retrospective question, so maybe we can ask this later. But if you don't, guys don't have anything, I'll go ahead. Okay, so I want. I basically want to ask that. So basically, you graduated from your undergrad. You did a master's, then you worked in a startup, then you worked in a, uh, I guess, a bigger company. I mean, not a traditional startup, but I might be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. And then you decided to, uh, and then also you spent some time doing courses on your own, and then you decided to do something of your own. So looking back, uh, do you think it was it was an addition of all those experiences that pushed you to do something of your own, or or of or if you were if you were twenty again, it sort of ties back to our our question. I'm sorry if I'm ruining it, but. But my my essential question is: Do you do you pay, do you give a a big weightage on say Coursera courses or or learning on your own? So if you were twenty again, you'll probably just do those Coursera courses and go ahead and do something on your own. Or do you think that all of those things are important? For example, I'm I I often think that should should I do a masters? I mean, my parents certainly think that I should, but I have no idea if I should. Uh, and so i mean what are your thoughts on masters what are your thoughts on what are your thoughts on what gave you that what gave you the maximum boost for for you to be here i mean is there is there like a pareto like pareto principle like thingy here going on wherein you got like the 80% boost from this one thing that you did or is it more of a addition to addition of everything i think that's a very valid question to ask um so looking back at myself definitely um, all the factors that I did played a part in what I started in the sense that even AI artist was not kind of random. I, I as a kid, I used to write a lot of stuff. Um, so I used to write small poems or quotes, things like that. So I had some interest in writing. And that's when I chanced upon using writing and AI. So that helped. I didn't know anything about what I would do for writing. 20 years later, but <laughs> now I could see that I'm able to connect these dots. So coming back to your question, how do you position yourself? So one question that you asked is, should I go and do masters or not? So practically speaking, I would say some of the taglines sell in the real world. Either you get masters or you get PhD, those taglines do sell sometimes. Um, but I would say masters, PhD, there's still time when you're young to do it later too. So if there is any possibility 
that you can already st start working on an idea, prototyping, ideating, things like that. You should be able to do that now than later. If you are able to do that right now, it's much better. And one of the main things that I kind of missed uh, when I was growing up probably was definitely having a mentor who is like five to 10 years ahead of me. Uh, because to be genuinely honest, seniors don't help much because they are only two years, one year, three years ahead of you and they have no clue, just got a job. They can help you about how to get a job, that is it. But you need someone, not just intelligence. I think intelligence will not take you farther when it comes to uh, like ambitious things, right? So you need to find, really find someone ambitious. You can find someone intelligent if you probably go on LinkedIn and find the tags. But to find ambitious people, you have to actually search for it. And because they will be able to carve a lifestyle for you that will that will scale uh, with your ambition and give you better outcome than anything else. Uh, any other job suggestions and other things can. Um, so one main thing is to look out for good mentors if you can. Um, that is very, very crucial. And I, I call, I say that to you guys and also say that to myself because to be honest, if I had that mentor, I would not, not I would not have taken electrical engineering. So my score was good enough to get even computer science Pilani, but I was just like engineering. I mean, I mean electrical engineering because I was just I thought physics was the coolest thing um, in plus one and plus eleventh and twelfth. Physics was the complicated things and coolest thing. That it's a very very narrow mind. I mean narrow thought to choose your life decision on that. And once you get into electrical engineering, again, you have to do something similar in masters. You can do transition if you get a job and do things. But I applied for computer science and electrical engineering, but still I could not change it completely. So I had to, so I would say I would have at least got two years head start of what I am doing now. I would have cut down on one and a half years to two years learning if I had done computer science right away. So if I had like, some ten, 10 years ahead engineer who is ambitious and if he told me that AI would be the next big thing or even similar things, AI or internet of things or like project that algorithms will play a bigger role and self-driving car, all these things will play a bigger role. So be prepared for them. I would have definitely been into computer science and card by uh, there are so many times I thought to myself, why did I waste so much time in electrical engineering? Um, I did even like traditional courses like uh, like transformers, all the electrical machinery. I did all BJTs, FETs, analog and all of those. Um, not that they are bad, but I would have carved my life to be well suited and I could have done, um, I could have done what I'm doing two years early if I had good mentor who had foresight of what is going to play a big, t uh, big play in future. Uh, that's one thing that I would say. And um, so main thing is, I would say none of the work will give you enough strength to start a uh, company. What I'm trying to say is, um, most of the work you do will not build 
enough defensibility to start a company on your own. Uh, the only way to do that is augment your knowledge, either through hackathons, meeting, going to meetups in your area, um, or online learning like I did. That was one thing. And looking back, I kind of sometimes feel I was lucky to chance upon the things I have chanced. Because since I did not have an mentor and I do not even have now, which I feel is a little bad about, all the choices that I made were just my choices. And I was lucky enough that th those choices turned out to be even this good, what I, where I'm at. Uh, that's something surprising, but yeah. I think you can take it the other way around that the self-awareness that you talk about and the decisions that you took were probably instrumental to you getting here rather than somebody else's opinion. It could be both ways, but this could also be possible. Yeah. You never know. But yeah, what do you think about masters? Um, I would, I would give a good seventy percent yes on it. Yeah, if you can. <laughs> yeah, Prabhjot Singh Sodi, masters in science. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so, so uh, we're we're starting this segment uh, where we're gonna ask this question to every guest of ours. Uh, and I think you've kind of answered this, but like, uh, let's imagine you're 19 years old. Uh, maybe you're in college or getting into college. And what's the one thing that you tell Ramshri at that point of time? Uh, what's the one thing? I, I, I wouldn't even want to uh, tell the end game of this question. What's one thing that you tell Ramshri? I would definitely say network more. Try to make friends, try to find uh, people you gel with uh, very early in life, if you can. Uh, mainly networking. I think I missed out a big time on that. Uh, luckily, I think Bitsian community is so good that now I say Bitsian, they connect with me the same way. Um, but I could have built a lot more relationships that are valuable uh, if I had networked more and be social. And uh, try to be self-aware and like I said, try to talk to someone really in the industry uh, who is like five to ten years ahead of you, not just in industry doing a PhD or something. So mentorship, networking, self-awareness and try and build confidence, reach, reach out to people on LinkedIn. Uh, these are the things that are not obvious, but uh, there are a lot of good people out there. It's up to you to find them. <laughs> That's the line of the episode, boys. <laughs> uh, any any questions you have, or we can move into one rapid fire question that I have. Like, so what's the one song that you've been listening to on repeat for the last week or so? Apna time aayega. This answer does not change. <laughs> so we asked the same question around three weeks back. It was the same answer. Gani. Uh, Duri. Duri. Also from Gali Boy. Also from Gali Boy. Sorry. Mm. <laughs> so, so uh, a, a cool thing about Ramsri is that he watches a lot of Telugu movies, and he's super inspired by Bahubali. So, I told you about. Uh, 
percentages of things that played for me to move back to India, right? Like, let's say 40% uh, AI artist, 40% uh, being close to India and parents. Um, so I would say I would give a good solid 10% to Bahubali and Bahubali alone. Uh, I will elaborate because up until then I thought you have to be at some place to have great reach. Then Bahubali came in and it was like Telugu film. So they operated from a Telugu film up until then had 100 crores maximum. That was the biggest hit. So if the biggest hit ever in Telugu film was 100 crores, they decided to make a movie that cost them 500 crores. So it's an ambition at a scale that entrepreneur can relate to, to play bigger than life size. And then they went on to even get into box office number three. So it's almost like you can sit anywhere and command the world. Like they commanded box office when Tom Hanks movies were playing, they got onto number three in US box office of all the movies. And it went on to become the highest grosser in uh, India. Uh, like 2000 crores or something like that. So it did inspire me the scale and ambition. To be very honest, I did not like Bahubali's second movie. I thought it was, but there's a thing that I build an ecosystem around it. I have already derived the value that I want before the movie releases itself for most of the movies, because I build an ecosystem with songs, uh, the, all the things. Um, so. Genuinely, I would say I would give 10% to the ambition that Bahubali had created. Yeah, I think I think we'll title this episode at, as uh, ambition at scale. Or we can title it as the Bahubali of Singapore. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I mean, That's but I, but I agree. I mean, uh, I, I, so I was in Hyderabad for uh, around, around one and a half years while I was working for Amazon. And I used to listen to um, the Telugu version of the Bahubali songs. And and uh, to anyone who, who likes the songs in general, I'd recommend the Telugu versions. Because, I don't know, for some reason, they, they just seem very much more authentic. And if you, I mean, I can, I, I even, I don't understand them, but I remember them. So, uh, they're, they're pretty cool. I, I wanted to add one thing on vision. So, when we talked about vision, right? So... There is one distinct thing that I remember about vision that played a role in my life too. So um, back in US, if you have to get a motorcycle license, you have to go take a motorcycle course most times. So they, it's a two day course where there is some theory and they give you motorcycle and test your, teach you on basic skills, things like that. Then you go and get motorcycle one. So during, why did I drive motorcycles I got into that just because of one picture I saw a picture of a guy with Ducati Diavel it's it's the closest thing that can get to Batmobile I mean it's not Batmobile yet but it's very powerful at 1200 cc so when I went to the motorcycle training course that guy asked he was going around and asking people why did you get into motorcycle and everyone was giving like, I want to commute to office. I want to, um, I don't know, take my girlfriend out on a ride, things like that. Um, I told him, I want to drive the world's best, some of the world's best bikes 
and especially Ducati Diavel. I have to ride it. And it's like 1200cc, which is like very powerful. Um, but I want to, I will cut it short so, so that we don't run on time. He also used to ride it. No, but exactly. I just wanted to say that's, that's probably, I mean, that comes from your roots. I mean, I believe you're, you've, you've been from Hyderabad um, for a long period in your life. So Hyderabad is just, are just crazy about uh, bikes in general as far as I've seen. But yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So my vision was so big that in order to be even able to ride that motorcycle, I went on like a f good four months training in gym because it is a 500 pound, 530 pound motorcycle. And I'm a very normal looking guy. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to even train to learn motorcycling and also train in gym to be able to handle that motorcycle. And finally, when we did that, we rented a Ducati Diavel in Malibu, uh, took like drone shots and everything for one good day. We had blast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll end it here. <laughs> crazy, crazy episode. Any last words? So by 550 low? pounds is for like the kg people. It's 240 kgs. I mean, I didn't know. So I just but yeah, uh, it's to around 240 people kgs. Living so pretty, pretty, yeah. pretty heavy. Yeah, yeah we should yeah. learn how to spend from Ramshree. <laughs> <laughs> yes with that uh, we'll end the episode thanks Vailok for coming here thanks Ramshi. thanks a lot thanks, thanks a lot. Shibankar really good really good episode anyways we are 1 hour 17 minutes into the recording uh, for those who are listening till this uh, timestamp we are very thankful we are very grateful thanks <laughs> Aditya Vijay Kumar let's <laughs> try to have one podcast without mentioning Aditya Vijay Kumar <laughs> I think we have anyways Thank you. See you next Sunday from Abu Dhabi. Yo, yo, yo.